Hello, I'm Sophia. And I'm Adepeju. I'm Adenike. And I'm Donna. And this is Group Chat. We are the brazen foursome, turning our saucy group texts into colorful group chats. We talk about everything from dating, pop culture, black girl magic on a monthly basis. second episode and over a hundred listeners thank you so much for listening we felt your support and we loving it thank you so much for the support y'all honestly it's just been really a bit much ever since the first episode dropped i mean i can't order a cab call a cab (laughs) without someone you know trying to get my autograph or (laughs) interrupting me when i'm walking to the train station I mean, we love y'all, but it's like I got to change my whole lifestyle. Like, I, I walk around with stutter shades on <laughs> just so people don't recognize me. Donna, I don't know about you, but I put my two weeks notice in at work. <laughs> because guess what? Group chat will be paid by bills. <laughs> and guess what else we've been getting? Checks in the mail. <laughs> so continue to send the love support checks, EBT cards. Keep the love coming. Money orders. Teller's checks. No personal checks, please. (laughs) Thank you, ladies. That really means a lot. Share your feedback and questions by sending a note to thisisgroupchat at gmail.com. And also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and SoundCloud at thisisgroupchat. We all on it. You better be on it. That's right. So, what have we been up to since the first episode? Well, last episode, we ended on self-care routine, and Donna suggested we go camping. We decided to go hiking and drinking in that order. I do not see the bird. Where'd it go? about living within hybrid cultures. And Adenike here, I'll be talking about New York City Subway Chronicles. And Donna will be bringing it on home by wrapping it up and talking about the holiday season and how to support minority-owned businesses. All right, so let's get to it. So, ladies, answer this question. What are the things that stand between you and complete happiness? Huh? Well, that's a really good question, Sophia. To be honest with you, I would say the biggest obstacle in my happiness is an internal voice. I would say she's a hater. Like, she's constantly second-guessing herself. So if I have an idea or if I'm about to step out and do something, she's like, do you think you're smart enough? Do you think you're beautiful enough? Friday night, we all went to an event called Afropolitan. It's like a monthly mixer where people throughout the African diaspora come together and drink and talk and have fun. And before I went to that event, 
A little hating voice in the back of my head is like, you sure you want to go to this event? I mean, it's going to be a lot of African people who know how to dance. You don't even know how to do the azunto. <laughs> <laughs>
videos that are teaching us what we need to do in order to fit into this mold. So yes, it is our responsibility to claim our happiness and to own it, but let's not ignore the forces that are out there. If you spend a whole week watching television, we're constantly being bombarded with images and ideas of things that we should aspire to do, things that we should aspire to be. And that affects my own internal voice. If I am going out, okay, I feel like I may need a little bit extra padding in my bra because I'm not the, the shape that I should be. And sometimes I have to remind myself, I have to shut things down and say, I am enough and I have enough. Because a lot of women, before we go out, there's this feeling like I need to buy an outfit. I need to buy something to wear to complete me for the night. But if I re reiterate, I am enough, I have enough. <laughs> that kind of helps humble me and put me in a less frazzled state so that I can just go out there and be and enjoy whatever it is that I'm out there doing. It's funny you say that, Donna, because recently this week someone repeated this to me and it's just like I finally heard it. But this thing about garbage in, garbage out. Mm -hmm. And so what you were saying about like what we take in tends to form a lot of what our wants are and what our needs are. Even if you don't feel like you're being influenced by that, it really makes sense. One of the best commences speeches I've ever heard is actually the one Shonda Rhimes gave recently. And she was saying that all of her life, prior to like coming into her own, she always wanted to be Toni Morrison. Mm. And isn't it funny that it wasn't until she stopped wanting to be <laughs> this other person right, right. that she became her own self, became this woman who people occasionally label the queen of TV, and one day got to meet the real Toni Morrison and talk to her about her love of Grey's Anatomy wow. and Scandal wow. and the shows that she's created. We've talked about competition on our show or comparing yourself to other people. Sometimes you have to stop that and really come into mind what can I do that's separate from what other people are doing. And sometimes that can get you to the point where you are the most happy or where you are the most content. As Kanye says, the people highest up got the lowest self-esteem <laughs> on the road to riches and diamond rings. <laughs> Well, that has been extremely enlightening, ladies. And I'm going to throw it over. Wait, 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 wait. I'm How sorry, about you? So <laughs> what a deep question. Like yeah. a really deep Come on, Sophia. Nah, you can't, what, you can't what, wrap what, it up like that. Exactly. What's standing between you and complete happiness? <laughs> no, don't, be trying to, don't be trying to be slick. <laughs> you got to answer the question, too. <laughs> Well, because I just want to echo what you ladies talked about. You basically took the words from my my soul and my mind. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. Like vampires. That's you deep. just sucked it out. That's deep. From my soul. That's deep. <laughs> because in a sense, we're always trying to find happiness externally rather yeah. than internally. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm always grappling with that because we want to achieve so much in America, put so much standard on external things that we're all constantly working hard seven days a week. Because we don't have Sundays either now. So seven days a week on trying to reach a goal. And it's always just outside our grasp. And so sometimes I always feel I'll never be successful. And there are times when my mother reminds me how successful I am of all the things that I've achieved, all the things that I will achieve. And sometimes I feel like, wow, I'm really talented. I, I worked hard for my degrees and all this stuff. And... So it's about looking internally about what makes you happy and I have to stop thinking about what other people think is best for me and you have to kind of do what's best for you and stop living through Facebook and Instagram <laughs> and that. What you mean? Not, you don't want to do it for the gram though? No, not <laughs> 
stop wishing for other people's happiness because sometimes, like you said, the grass isn't always green on the other side. So you don't know what people are going through. You don't know how what they have to go through to get there. So everybody's road is different, and you have to be you have to be on your own journey and and accept that for what it is and enjoy it at the same time. I because I definitely believe in YOLO and, <laughs> and and do it and just enjoying life. I've always had this belief in working hard so I can play hard. I don't believe in ha- I don't believe in I have to have one or the other. I, I I like to do both. And no matter what stage of life I am in, I'm going to do that. Because even when I was unemployed for, for a long time, people were wondering, how are you traveling? I see you going here, there, and everywhere. Because I made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Unemployment did not stop me from living my life. I think that's what's important. People let a lot of things stop them from, from enjoying life and making excuses for where they are. There's no excuse. I do believe in willpower and in, in, in taking charge. So therefore, ladies, like Adenike said, you are in charge of your own happiness. So make it happen. Don't let anybody hold you back. Don't let anybody tell you what you need to be or where you should be. You create your own standards. So that's the deep answer for all of y'all, okay? But what I really want to know now is what's sizzling in Adepeju's pot over there. <laughs> well, welcome everyone to the sizzle. It's not hot unless we're talking about it. That's our, that's our tagline for this reoccurring segment that we're going to be bringing back to you again and again. We'll start off talking about some hot topics and take the conversation a little broader. One of the things that we have been texting back and forth to each other was a video of the acceptance speech that the Nigerian-American artist Jadena gave at the 2015 Soul Train Awards after he won for Best New Artist. Ladies and gents, Soul Train Awards, BT-centric. Thank you very much. I want to thank uh, the creator, my family, my tribe, my generals, Fed Fancy, Wonderland Records, and our partners in crime, Epic Records. Uh, you know, I grew up in a family where excellence was the expectation. When I, I remember bringing a math test home to my father, and I, I said to my dad, Hey, Dad, I got a 98. Do you want to put it on the fridge? And my father, in true Nigerian fashion, said, Ah, where are the other two points? Go and get them and then bring them back to me. So, Dad, I think I found the other two points. Thank you, Lady Kim. So, Adenike shared this with the rest of the group, and I thought. Here's this classic man who burst into the hip-hop scene this past summer, and at the awards, he's representing both his Nigerian-American roots and hip-hop culture at the same time. It's not the first time he's done it. I imagine it's not the last time he's going to do it. And so I'm fascinated by the kind of hybrid space he lives in and the type of hybrid spaces I believe the rest of us live in as well. So today, I want to go around the room and just ask the girls, what are examples of the hybrid cultures that you inhabit? What comes to mind for you? Adnike? So yeah, I definitely do understand the duality that Jadena has and that also you have as well. My family is Jamaican and very big. And I've also traveled to Jamaica often since I was a little baby. I'm very connected to that culture. My parents were very intentional on making sure that my brother and I were connected to that culture very early on. So the 
duality, the hybrid space would be Jamaica and America. And then, of course, within America, there's Black America and White America because there is a difference, right? So early on, so much of my language was influenced by my parents and my family, even as late as high school. I was saying oven and vegetables <laughs> and condensed milk. And I remember a friend in high school pointing out the pronunciation. And it wasn't until she did that that I realized that I wasn't saying the words <laughs> like other people. I don't know about most people, but how other people were saying it. So I became a little bit self-conscious. But even as a Black woman in America whose heritage is from the Caribbean via Jamaica, but also residing in Black America, I realized that a lot of the speech patterns that develop in America among Black people have distinct histories based on the collision of various languages and language structures. I'm always struck when I hear Gullah and Geechee and how similar that sounds to English Caribbean speech patterns. But I love, I love that. I love learning about history and how languages develop sort of isolated and how I can code switch. I can code switch in African-American vernacular English, even though I'm not, I don't have the history of being from the United States of America, but I feel like I have I'm in some ways kind of like an interloper into that culture um, <laughs> because even though it, I wasn't born with that culture and that's not my history, I feel like I understand a lot of the language patterns. I understand a lot of the, a lot of like the little cultural touch points and I'm able to, I'm able to kind of move within those spaces. So I could be mistaken, you know, for a black American and in a lot of ways I feel like I am black American because I was born in America, but I do have the history and the culture from Jamaica and not from America, but I still feel like the Black American experience is still a part of me. I don't know how other like truly Black Americans, either from the North or from the South, would feel about me claiming that, but you know, this is my space and I'm gonna, I'm gonna claim that. <laughs> but at the same time, being in Jamaica, I would not necessarily talk like a Jamaican because if I was talking like a Jamaican there, I would be called out. <laughs> People would know that I was a Yankee, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is a Jamaican term for, for just being an American. But I could do, you know, maybe drop a couple words just to let people know that I have some connection to it, but it's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it because it would just turn it into like, it would just be funny. People would just make fun of it. Like, oh, say that word again. Say that word again. And I'm like, no, I don't need to say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just give Donna a chance to also talk about how you navigate life within hybrid environments. What are some of your experiences, either with language or some of the aspect of culture? I would say that growing up, I spent from 10 months to about four years old, I spent in Haiti. So there was an awareness of any variation of culture when I was very young. It wasn't until I moved to the States or returned to the States at about four and a half years old, that I had to adopt this new language. In the first episode, I talked about when I realized that people didn't know me as Donna, they, they had to make a choice whether I'd be Dana or Donna. That's when I realized, okay, there's something about my Haitianness that not everyone understands, and I'd have to constantly break things down for people. When I did return to New York, 
they weren't sure what to do with me. They put me in a Haitian American class because I had lived in Haiti and then I spent some time in Florida. So they're like, what do we do with this girl? Can she <laughs> perform at grade level? Will she be able to keep up with the standards? So being in that bubble, it let me know that I was different from the masses. I was different from the other kids. And around that time, it wasn't cool to be Haitian. If we can <laughs> remember, you know, there were the terms like Haitian booty scratcher. Mm. Um, do you guys have any other? Oh, they, they made statements ba- Babylonians. That's what? what they used to call they, That's what they used to call Haitians that she wow. said. Ba- Babas. Yeah. <laughs> they used to have statements about, oh, Haitians don't know how to dress. So there were a lot of negative associations related to being Haitian. And I didn't have a choice because I couldn't hide because I was in a Haitian-American class. So I fully embraced it. I'm just like... I can't be a closet Haitian because back in the days there were you know there were a lot of closet Haitians. A lot people. of closet Haitians. <laughs> people that just completely denied their Haitianness. I have a friend who she teased me every day in the fourth grade. <laughs> and then I, I just felt like she was Haitian. So I would go home to my mother, I'd consult with her, I'd be like, Mom, I know this girl's Haitian. There's something about her. Here's her last name. My mother's like, I'm not sure. I don't think that's Haitian. So I'm like, (laughs) and years later, I found out that this girl was Haitian. So I was being persecuted by someone within my own culture. Haitian or Haitian crime. What are we going to do about this Haitian or Haitian crime? (laughs) So, yeah, those were my earliest experiences. And it's not only, let me see, maybe when the Fujis came out, that there was this celebration of the Haitian culture. Jean, what, I'm sorry, what's his, the leader? Wyclef. Wyclef Jean. Wyclef right. Jean. And he, he also made it clear that you have to refer to him as Wyclef Jean. Not and that, Jean. Not right. Jean. So within my house, like no one in my house was ever ashamed of being Haitian. And my mother always told me to be proud of my Haitian uh, heritage and my Haitian history. But the Fujis were the first prominent group that celebrated uh, the Haitian culture. So yes, I, I feel like even though I was Haitian, I felt a lot of persecution from different ethnicities within the black culture. So I, I just feel like there was a, a hierarchy and Haitians were at the bottom. And Jamaicans um, are at the top. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but not in 2015. Okay? Because we have Fetty Watt people rocking Haitian. Oh, now she's claiming it. Now she's claiming it. I don't think Fetty is Haitian. Now she's claiming it. But that shows that we put the Haitian people on the pedestal. I'm just saying. The other night we went out and this guy was like, what are you? (laughs) And I just feel it's such a loaded question. Really a loaded question. And I would say I'm Haitian American, but I'm also black. Yeah, we're all a lot of things these days. We're all a lot of things. I think that's one of the reasons I even wanted to talk about this because I think about it and it's funny. After we came back from hiking, I had this conversation with my mom and she had said something like, wow, with you doing all of these sports, this must mean you're going to marry an Akata man. What does that mean? It's like saying Yankee or saying a white man Mm. because to her, me and, you know, engaging in sports like hiking, (laughs) that's not going to be a Nigerian (laughs) man. That's like we do white people stuff. We do white people stuff. So Sophia, tell us what are some environments that you've you've come to adapt or, or grow in? Well, as Donna mentioned, I'm one of those closeted Haitians. Those <laughs> <laughs> are coming out in session, right? Sophia is out of the closet today. So I grew up very American, but fortunately, my mother made sure that I knew about our culture, that I knew the language, even though there was not one French person in my neighborhood, 
anybody that I saw that was Asian was more at family gatherings. And so I kind of was exposed to just the white American life and also the Korean life. So I, I, I grew up in a very eclectic household in that sense. And knowing Caribbean culture, we are very fixated on academic success and that you must do better than the next person sitting next to you. And everybody, most of the people, most of the family members on my mother's side are lawyers and doctors and they live in Long Island or New Jersey or Pennsylvania in big houses and things like that. So those are the things that we want the children to aspire to, to be successful in our personal life, get married and have a good career. And so I went into college as a pre-med student, because uh, of course that's what we are trying to do, right? Become doctors and, and lawyers and, and lawyers, engineers and, right. and accountants, the big four. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a little rerouted. I, I got up to organic chem and I was just like, hello. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> when the day comes that I have children, I'm going to make sure they know their history and their identity. I, I think I'm secure enough in, in my history and knowing who I am and and always being protective of that. I don't think I'll ever lose that. I love the way you put it, that being secure in your history and knowing who you are. It definitely sounds like all of our parents did a great job of instilling that in us because I still go around today in what my mom may call increasingly white spaces, but still feeling very Nigerian in that in that space. So to bring it back, it's why experiences like watching Chidena take on his parents' African accent and, and infuse that into his acceptance speech, to me, it makes me smile. Um, and so regardless of how global or increasingly interconnected the world becomes, it's still nice to know that we can hold on to those identities that we grew up with, but also add on maybe other aspects of other cultures to our lives. So now I'm going to pass the, the ball on to Ademike. We're going to talk about some subway chronicles. So I've seen a lot of amazing things in the train. Not all good. Um, <laughs> the subway is ripe for a sociological experiment, or maybe it actually is a sociological experiment. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the Subway Chronicles, and we'll talk about, we'll go around and talk about interesting <laughs> things that we witnessed <laughs> on the subway. So I'll go first. I remember seeing Gabourey's, Sidibe's mom doing music on the train, and it was either like 34th Street or 42nd, one of those big train stations. Mm. But her voice is amazing. Mm. Her name is Alice Tan Ridley, and she just like stopped everybody in their tracks and you had to like stop and listen to her for at least one or two of her songs like really really good and then of course there's hypnotic brass ensemble which is a band that i learned about by taking the subway and don and i went to go see them last month but i have kind of a, a, a different story a, a little hustle story because <laughs> there's a lot of pure talent and this guy is no exception so at my local train station, there's this young man who kind of reminds me of Roscoe from Martin. Kind of, <laughs> kind of with like, a, you know, just disheveled kind of looking, but still, you know, he rocks his J's, kind of snot nose a little bit, but he, he knows what he's doing. So basically what he does is he jams up the, the MetroCard vending machines and he makes it so that they can only distribute single rides. <laughs> So you can 
You they can't they can only distribute single rides. You can't use a credit card, you can't so you can only it can only give you a single ride. And then what he does is he stands by the gate and he sells single rides for lower than the MTA charges for a single ride. So he creates a drought. <laughs> he, he creates a drought. He creates the conditions for a drought. And then he's right there to help you. He's he's there to save you. He gives you the water when you, you know because because you're so parched. And I mean, I've witnessed him do it on so many occasions, and I feel like it is amazing. He his. I'm sure it must be some kind of a talent because he must he must also have something with the metro card that he uses because. I'm like, it can't be an unlimited Metro card because he's swiping it multiple times. And with an unlimited, you have to wait a certain number of time. You have to wait for a certain um, amount of time About before you can 12 minutes, 20, 20, 20 minutes before you can swipe it again. But whatever card he's using, he's able to get money from whomever is buying buying a swipe from him, and it's lower than they would be paying at the MetroCard vending machine. But he but he did, he he jams up the machines, and he somehow is able to make it work. And it it, it reminded me of the movie Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. and he like plays just this All these really t- like, talented talented person, but a real hustle man. And I'm like, this guy needs a job at the MTA because. <laughs> Clearly, he knows how to like disable their machines. He knows how to trick the Metro cards. And he's like, (laughs) and I remember one day I walked into the train station and I was like, I needed to buy a Metro card. And of course, the Metro card machine wasn't working. I I use an unlimited, so I couldn't buy a a Metro card. I had to walk to the next entrance of the train station in order to to, to go about my business. And while it's annoying, I understand his hustle. But I do wish that he was doing something else. And so one day I said to myself, brother, you need to find another hustle. You told him that? I told him that. And he just kind of nodded at me and he just like kept doing his thing. Anyway, that was my story. Sophia, what you got? Well, as a night writer, sorry, not a night writer. <laughs> what, what you doing in the night? What you doing as a night writer in the subway? <laughs> As a subway writer, I am perpetually perplexed and feeling harassed and annoyed by the wonderfully able gymnastics of the gentleman <laughs> on the train. You see, I'm, I'm trying to use poet, the subway poetry, the subway poetry that you that you see on the on, on, on the subway trains because they come on the train, sir, I can be taking my mini nap <laughs> or listening to my own music. Which I also lowered so nobody else can hear on the train. Because you're so considerate. Yes, yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. <laughs> and they interrupted my moment to self-reflect and <laughs> on, on a public train. Right. Or, or how dare they? Or meditate. You could be meditating. Right. right. And they say, excuse me, you know, get out the way. I don't want to hurt you. Everything is doing gymnastics. I think it's wonderful that they, they can twirl around the pole, do all those all those wonderful, wonderful things. Which sometimes their feet are just a few inches away from your face. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 do, but do they ever kick you? Do they ever kick you? Have they ever touched you? No, they have not. That is talent. That's talent. And what I would say to these young gentlemen, if any of you are listening today, <laughs> is please, please, if you have such talents, consider doing gymnastics at a real gym. Or 
go to Showtime at the Apollo, where you can actually get some real coins <laughs> and discovery at for your talents. I'm just, I'm just saying, as it's, it's disruptive, it's noisy, it's a little bit annoying, and this is one time I'm on the side of our, our local government enforcers where they do kind of want them to kind of stop it. So that's the one time I'm on their side on, on this issue because it is kind of annoying and I feel that they could definitely enhance their skills through more better opportunities like gym, like gymnastics to have asphalt green on <laughs> 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 uh, 92nd in New York. <laughs> Oh, is that free? No. <laughs> People build their talents in many ways, and there are there are centers, there are organizations that can definitely help them build. And but it's just not on the number six, on the number five, or on the number four, or any other trains. <laughs> Basically, you just like it's not showtime on any one <laughs> Exactly. Donna, how about you? I have two stories. One of them is a little nasty. It's Sunday. I try not to get nasty on Sundays. So I'm gonna share. <laughs> I'm gonna share the first story with you guys. There was a family. The father was the head of household, and he would bring his four children on the train to perform. And I saw them at least four times. And these children were just very talented, beautiful voices. They sang in harmony, and they would walk up and down the trains, and they'd be the ones to the part money. No. <laughs> They reminded me of the Jacksons because the father had just a real Joe Jackson vibe about him. Yeah, he would give these children a look like, you better get it right or, you know, that ass is mine. Like, he just had that look. (laughs) So, I saw, like I said, I saw them about four times within a span of maybe four months or so. And the first performance was just like, wow, these children are so talented. But he'd be having them perform early in the morning, like before they went to school. And his pitch was like, oh, they need money for breakfast. I'm like, these children have school. Like, you got them up extra early to bang on this train. And by the third... Yeah, this is the free breakfast program. They should. They do have a free breakfast program. Right. So that's why I'm just like, I'm not, I'm really not feeling this. How you're using your children to beg for money. And by the third time, I felt really bad because the children must have been from, let's say, five up until 13. The five-year-old, he didn't have a care in the world. He was just singing his little heart out because like, he enjoyed singing. But the older the children got, they just seem so self-conscious and aware of people looking at them, them looking needy. Like the older one, by the last time I saw her, she was she was not singing at all. Like, <laughs> she's like, she probably couldn't stand up to her father to say, I'm not going on the train, but she was like, well, I'm not going to sing. Silent protest. Right, that was her form of silent <laughs> protest. So I just felt really bad because at first I'm like, okay, it's terrible that they're on the train, but they could sing. But by the last time, it was just, you could see how they really didn't want to do it. Except the five-year-old. Again, the five-year-old was just having a good old time. He was like Michael. So yeah, I just thought it was disturbing to see a father using his children. That man. Right, using their talent. So that was kind of a sad story. Hmm. Where are they PJ, now? you have anything to inspire us? <laughs> well, like unlike all of these annoying stories, and I, I gather it was probably annoying for the folks on the train. When this happened, the, the story I have is about a formal luncheon for a dozen people that was staged aboard the Brooklyn Bound L train on a Sunday afternoon, so when it was a rush hour, <laughs> around 1 p.m. when very few people were on it and going from Manhattan, 14th Street, and 8th Avenue. So the way I understand this happened is that 
They set up tables. They set up tableware and plates and linens and fine silverware and a bow tie maitre d'. And they served all this fantastic food. Caviar, foie gras, filet mignon, mm. dessert, a pyramid of chocolate panna cotta. Mm. This sounds like the kind of silver experience I would like to be part of. Oh, nice. this This sounds very nice. And so what they did was at different stops along the, the line, they would bring on a new course. And so just the epitome of fine dining. Like they literally were making soup. <laughs> Wow. Soup on the benches, like outside the station, and when the the train would open up, they would come in with the with the little goblet and just pour pour the soup out. So, I was, I mean, I was very inspired by this. I mean, even though people paid a hundred dollars for the tickets, they were refunded at the oh. end for it, and it ended up being this free adventure filled lunch and dining experience. I like that. So how did how did they cook the meals outside if it was? Because the train only stops in the thing for about two minutes. For about two minutes. So they cooked at different kitchens along the way with some celebrity chefs and some like smaller known restaurants. Mm -hmm. And they just timed it really perfectly where when they knew the train was going to be, because this is an elevated train as well. When they knew the train was about to hit the spot, someone would call down to the ground. The people would run up with that particular course and meal and then be there for the train opening. Then they would... They would get on, serve the food, and then maybe get off at the next stop. Wow. It was a huge coordinated event that was put together by this company called A Razor, A Shiny Knife, and a few yes. other organizers. But they do some really amazing supper dining and supper club events. Well, Adenike is very good at making delicious food, so maybe don't we know it? We <laughs> are we stuffed that be a and comfortable. <laughs> maybe she could create something like that for. The local trainer. Maybe she could. Maybe she could probably. That could be like a side hustle that she can hire that man that works up. She can stop up the train, so she can make it to the platform on time. Nubian skin lingerie because 
women of color have had a hard time finding the right nude colored um, underwear and this caters to all shades of brown. So whether you are cocoa complected, caramel complected, whatever complexion you are, you can find it at Nubian Skin Lingerie. So any of you other ladies have businesses or websites that can um, that you can share with our listeners? I'll start off. I definitely make a point during the holidays to support the minority-owned businesses around my neighborhood. They say charity and I guess the coins start at home. So I make a point to go to the, the locally owned grocery store, the locally owned liquor store. I mean, if I'm getting ready for a party and I'm getting myself some refreshments, be it beverage or food, I'd like to start there when I'm thinking of gifts. I head over to the Ave. This is Jamaica Ave, <laughs> as opposed to the other Aves. And I visit the local store and get myself a chocolate-focused greeting cards. Um, and use that to send it out with my gifts. So that's usually where I start, as close to home as possible. So I know I shared a, a video on the group chat. I know y'all ain't watching. Y'all probably doing Christmas shopping and shit. But, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> what was that? It was, uh, it was a video by the president of Greenpeace USA. And she was talking about consumerism. And Donna, you mentioned how much people spend annually on Christmas presents. It's also interesting to know how much people go into debt <laughs> over the Christmas season. Right. So um, for me, I'm not uh, I'm not really with the spending a whole lot one, one time a year. I'm very much about selective economics throughout the whole year. And so I'm, I support the, black, the Buy Black movement. I support the Not One Die movement, but it kind of needs to be something that is incorporated into our lifestyles throughout the year. You go into my bathroom right now, my toilet paper is made by a Black-owned <laughs> paper company called Freedom Freedom Paper Company. So it's just, I, it's, for me, it's more of how about we, we do this with gusto throughout the entire year. For me, I'm going to websites like powerbox.com, ourpowerbox.com, and they have a list of over 900 Black-owned businesses. I also subscribe to Ujama Box and every month I get a selection of items from Black-owned businesses and that kind of helps me to learn more about what is available in the Black-owned business space. Sophia, can you share with us any businesses that you're did you like to promote to our listeners? Yes, definitely. I would definitely like to share a resource with everyone. Definitely to increase the Buy Black movement and supporting each other. If you want to find inspiration for some good buys, I don't do clothes founder Janice Jamila has created a curated list holiday gift guide, which is updated weekly with the hottest Black-owned apps, books, cosmetics, fashion, food and spirits, hair products, house items, jewelry, services, subscription boxes, and toys and games. You can find this all on www.idontdoclubs.com and just look up the link of Holiday Gift Guide 2015. Okay, thanks for sharing, Sophia. Okay, so that wraps up our conversation. Um, we want to wish you guys a happy holiday. So however it is that you're celebrating this holiday season, we wish you 
joy, happiness, love. And we also want you guys to continue the conversation on our social media outlets. You can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, as well as Instagram at This Is Group Chat. Our uh, email is This Is Group Chat at gmail.com. We would love to hear how you um, invest in minority owned businesses. You can hashtag Buy Black. And we, again, we want you to be part of the conversation by going on our different social media outlets and letting us know about other businesses that are worth investing in. You can tag us through hashtag BuyBlack or this is group chat. Thank you guys for listening to our second episode. Thank you, everyone. Well, good. <laughs> Happy holidays, everyone. Merry Christmas. <laughs>